because the second you really start to figure out why you do the things you do, accept the things that you've done, ask for forgiveness, and then trying to maintain these gains that you've made, this insight that you have. Uh, I mean, find me a person that that wouldn't benefit. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it is RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits and thank you for joining us on another week where we are unpacking some magic. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice I'm super laid back and casual. It's because I am not working this week. I'm in my home office. However, the Ultra Habits show must go on. And today I'm talking to a Joshua Frank, better known as JT. We have so much in common. JT has his own podcast called The Consequences of Habits, where he unpacks his guests' habits and how it impacts their community and environment. Now, JT is also in recovery. He is a recovering alcoholic, and we have so much to talk about. We wanted the opportunity to bring it to both of our communities. Now, the interesting thing about this conversation is that JT's life looked very differently to mine on the outside. JT was in the Air Force, tired military still serving the community while he was actively drinking. And for all intensive purposes, it looked like he really had his shit together. And when you looked at my life, while I was drinking and using, I was a complete mess, as many of you know, in and out of institutions, jails, prisons, all kinds of different things. But the whole thing around addiction, as most of us know that have suffered from it, is we may look and present ourselves to a certain way to the world, but ultimately we all feel the same. And it's when we really move beyond the exterior and the superficial and we connect on a deeper level that we start to recover from the insidiousness of drugs or alcohol or whatever your poison may be. And JT, like myself, came to find that whilst habits played a negative role in his life while he was drinking, it also became the steps towards his new life and embracing better, more optimal habits and ultimately has led him to a path of freedom and, and discipline and happiness. And that's what we're on the show talking about today. It's about habits. It's about recovery. It's about everything in between. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. It's different than most of the interviews I do as we are having a conversation, this Q&A on both sides. So I really do hope you enjoy the format. We decided to try something a bit new. Anyways, as Christmas comes, think about, reflect on the year, just keep safe, don't get too shit-faced, stay healthy, reflect, renew, and think about what you're going to be doing when you come out the gates on the other side the new year. Anyways, I leave you in the capable hands of JT as well as myself. Enjoy the show. Peace out, y'all. This is uh, the, the fact that, like I, I mentioned right before we even hit record, we got we got two podcasts talking about the impact of habits have on our lives, and and we're on the other side of the world yet. Yet here we are, man. 
I know. And the interesting thing is how similar our stories are yet different, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, uh, it is crazy. And you know, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about consequences when it relates and how it relates to habits. And over the last few weeks, I've realized that people that are good with habits and are able to kind of maintain their momentum with their habits have a very good system and way of connecting with consequences, right? Like I think the ability to live your consequences and truly connect to your consequences help anchor yourself to the habits in the moment. So we're, we're going to get into our past, but do you think it was that, that absence of that connection or that ignorance of that connection between our habits and the, and the consequences? I think that personally, I lacked the, the roadmap, first of all, on how to successfully live. But two, I didn't have a strong sense of identity that I was moving towards that then enabled me to understand how the consequences of my bad habits were impacting that identity that I wanted to move towards, right? So like they say, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. I probably also lacked the, the willpower. But again, I think that was because I didn't have a strong sense of identity or what I was working towards. What's your view on that, JT? Uh, there's a couple of different things. One, I think, like you, I had an idea of what you want to be, but that need to feel good uh, short term was, <laughs> was constantly compromising that. And then I, I, I'm sure if you, you said, hey, think about it, dummy, for more than three seconds, then I would have connected the dots. But I think there's a lot of times where um, I was just along for the ride, like where I was getting, hey, this would happen. Um, without truly going, well, it's because of this that you seem to do every single day, or uh, maybe, maybe that's a huge part of this thing. Uh, so I, 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 I mean, I'm still working through it, but, but I think what we're eventually getting to is, is the habits that, that bring that long-term feeling of, of happiness or pride or um, success. Uh, they, don't, they don't come quick, and I wasn't willing to, to wait to put that time in. I wasn't in some aspects of my life, but just not, not some other ones. I don't know if that makes sense. Do you think though, is people that suffer or have suffered from addiction, that addiction has a way of superseding any plan, oh, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the impulse to use, whether it be alcohol or drugs, will supersede any, you know, motivation to move towards a higher goal. Like if you don't have the systems in place to stay sober, everything else means nothing. And, you know, we talk about it in recovery, right? Like the, the, the forgetfulness of the alcoholic. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just forget. You just forget. And everyone has that clarity. I mean, I don't care how bad uh, you, you are in um, in your addiction. And we can get into that as well on, on how everyone's journey. I just had this conversation with somebody this morning where some people, it's just a, it's a complete rock bottom and other people uh, it's, it's just different, you know, but there, everyone has that, those moments of clarity where you go, yeah, yeah, this is what I should do, or this is, this is the path forward. But um, that's, well, I guess that's what addiction is. It's, it's derailed by that, that need uh, to, to, to scratch that itch that, that never seems to go away. It's interesting. And maybe you can, you can take us into your past because I've always been interested with people that have been able to compartmentalize their addiction. So they were successful in other areas of their lives. Mm -hmm. I could never really do that. How did, how did you manage that piece? Like how did you keep the lid on the beast whilst in other areas you might've been thriving or maybe you were just surviving. I don't know. This man, it gets complicated because I think one of the reasons I excelled in other aspects of my life was I was compensating that I was struggling over here. So to feel good about myself or to present myself in a certain way, I did you know, this other part of my life, I made sure that I, I at least packaged this thing and I came across in a way that, that people, at least in my eyes, thought, you know, they walked away going, that guy's got, <clears throat> excuse me, that guy's got his, his shit together. But, uh, you know, I've said this before. I've said this in, in, in a 12-step meeting where I almost felt like I was, I was a half-assed drunk at the same time. Like, like I was almost, I was envious of somebody who, who just hit rock bottom that couldn't balance those two things because it, to me, it was like a boxer who just got knocked out, right? There was no compared to, to more what I felt like I was doing, which, which was, was being murdered with a wiffle ball bat. Like it just took a really long time and, and it stung on a daily basis. Um, you know, so, uh, and in, in matter of fact, the conversation I had today was, you know, we're, we're going to get into what we have in common, what those comparisons are, what we have in common and what, you know, how our stories differ. But uh, I had to really, uh, you know, the same thing that made me, in my eyes, a half-assed drunk was also the reason I didn't seek help for so long because I could portray somebody who could do both things. Yeah. So how... If you were to talk to someone that was close to you in your life when you were in active alcoholism, would they have been part of the blast radius or were you able to keep it under wraps even from those that were really close to you? I, I, I was able to keep it under wraps. I mean, I had my people like I knew the people I could truly open up to and they were people that drank like I did. Um, but, but it were the same people, that, you know, you, you smell your own, you know, your own. So I would hang out with somebody and be like, all right, I know this guy. Um, we're cut out of the same piece of wood when it comes to this. So we can have these open conversations about feeling like crap or, uh, hiding a beer bottle or, or something like that. Um, but the other ones, no, no. I mean, I didn't, and, and blast radius is for me, was kind of a relative term. I, I didn't really. 
um, a lot of people, I'll, I'll say this, a lot of people were surprised when I said, I have a problem. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and, and it made me question whether I did, but the, the, the further distance I got from it, mm. the more I realized like, yeah, 100%. You know, I can clean up my garage and still find some empties somewhere, like stash in a tool. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's not normal behavior for somebody who's got it all together. Mm. So, um, yeah. How about you? How how did when you when when you when we talk about having these goals and and uh, be, wanting to be a certain way, but but not being able to fulfill that or, you know, head in that direction? Mm. What was that? What was that for you? And how were you, you know, how were you distracted from that? And then really, what was that thing was like, oh, shit, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. Yeah. I think for me, I developed a correlation between my using drugs and early days when I was a youngster, it was like, how was I going to facilitate that drug use? So I got into to making money the wrong way. But as I got older, they became intertwined. So it would be, I mean, my life could fall apart within a week. So I may be sober for like a few months, you know, back in university, doing my undergrad degree in business, uh, you know, on a Monday, on a Wednesday, I get an idea to go have a beer and I go have a beer at the pool hall. And next thing I know, someone offers, offers me a line of Coke in the bathroom. I do the Coke and within 24 hours, I'm back selling methamphetamine. Wow. It literally would move that quickly. And the university will stay but my whole sense of identity within a two to three day period will shift i will adopt a different set of morals it's insane like if i reflect on that like as soon as i go into the using mindset i pick up a new character yeah yeah. And I don't know if you can relate to that, right? And the whole, my whole goals and my whole aspirations become completely corrupt because they're aligned with the dealer, RJ, the dealer. Well, it's got to make you question whether you know yourself, right? Because it, 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 it makes you feel like, uh, well, you, you just lack authenticity. And that's something I, I've dealt with. Like, you know, I used to... Uh, think that was a, a good attribute to almost be like a, be able to adapt to whatever scenario I was in, whatever my surroundings were. Um, but as, you know, as I continue to grow, you realize well, well that, that's that's not the way to be. I mean, the, the true leader has those those grounded uh, ways of doing things, and that doesn't deviate depending on whether you're around other entrepreneurs or um, you know people doing people drinking, doing coke, whatever it is. Um, so I, I do think I, I do, I definitely can relate to that. And I, when, when we talk about the, our different lives, I think one of those, those things that, uh, I was always around 
a structure that that was just so unacceptable, you know, whether it be the military, that I think that's one of the few things that truly kept me grounded from that. And the process of, of, of getting sober, uh, I found myself, I can see how I could have gone a complete opposite direction, given the right circumstances, uh, given the right surroundings. And I mean, I've somewhat seen it, uh, you know, start to really head in, in a certain path and was almost like yanked from the, by the back of my neck uh, into back into a, a different world. Well, well, here's a go. Like, structurally, the military, although it's aligned with purposeful work and, you know, or, you know, you can go into the politics of it, which we won't. But structurally, it is no different to, let's say, when I was a youngster and I got caught up in a crowd of highly influential, strong males. They were just orientating me towards different outcomes. But the structure was effectively no different. So what happened was you had an addiction, but you were operating within an ecosystem where what success looked like was different. And you all strive towards what that success looked like within that structure. I operated within, I had always attracted to strong males. If I looked at, at the, the thread of my criminal career and even business career, there's always been a strong male that in a sense has uh, helped shape me, mm -hmm. right? And I could have applied that and you and I had that conversation, like, you know, there were moments there that I missed the boat, particularly on the U.S. Marines when I was a 17-year-old kid. But I would have been able to apply that, and I would have taken to that structure very well. I would have probably gone into the Marines and been a pisshead, what we call an alcoholic here in Australia. But what success looked like within that structure would have orientated me towards different ideals. Yeah, I, there's no difference, right? I mean, what was acceptable in the, the communities that you were around with strong males, you know, that, that helped guide you through whatever you were doing, um, what was acceptable was, was what you were probably doing along the way, um, where vice versa. You know, I've said this within the military communities, this idea of um, pushing down emotions, drinking your problems away, that, that's that that is not serving us long term if anything because when we talk about identity uh, there's a lot of people they put everything into that identity of their their time they serve uh the habits that they form but at some point you're not around those people anymore but those habits are still with you and it's not acceptable and now you're alone you're alone. you're drunk and alone which is no way to be right so uh, yeah i don't think there's much difference and i think a lot of people don't like hearing the fact that when we talk about organizations, we talk about, um, you know, things like the military, anytime you're part of something that's bigger than you, like there's a reason the hell's angels came from the military. Mm. You know? And even within what we're trying to do is, is kind of build the, this connection through, through purpose and challenge. Uh, 
whether you're a criminal organization or a military or law enforcement, whatever it is, there's not that much difference. You're part of something bigger than you. You're part of a group that has, it's got uh, standards. I mean, they could be low, um, but they have standards. You, you have to be able to do these certain things. And if you excel in that, then um, it, it all, you know, you've just picked your poison by what group you're, you've, you've aligned yourself with. 100%. And even when I was in my addiction and I was allowing myself to be influenced by certain men, I remember thinking, like having explicit thoughts that I was making myself stronger and smarter and faster. And, you know, we all want to be part of something. And we all, many of us want to feel like we're excelling. And because that was the only form of life where success was on offer in my mind, that's where I went. And, you know, one can argue, and I would agree, like the common sense element of, well, it's better to be part of a community that is moving towards a positive um, set of ideals. Ultimately, though, you have to be with yourself. And that's where that alcoholic ex-military guy you know, winds up in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting sit, sitting right next to a dude that's done 30 years in the penitentiary. And although from an external perspective, one may look like a war hero and the other dude might be, you know, he might look like a piece of shit. They're both emotionally at the same place. 100%. <laughs> One and, and I think that's one of the biggest problems is that we, 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 you know, we stick our flag in this, this identity of whatever it is we, we've packaged. So um, I'm a, I'm a, a military veteran. I'm a guy who did 30 years in jail. Um, I'm a lawyer above this stuff. At the end of the day, man, this human experience doesn't give a shit what rank you were, uh, what, what, your sexual preferences, um, none of it, your tax bracket, none of these things, they, they don't matter uh, because we all react the same to certain things. You know, we pick these poisons when we've gone through trauma or, um, you know, dealt with some hard things or, or maybe not. Maybe it's just your personality. Maybe, you know, your ADHD, whatever, and you just kind of tend to go towards these things. We, we all just pick our poison. Um, and, and I think, I'll ask you, I, I know for me, I find more empathy in others than I ever could have imagined by going through a 12-step program and being in rooms with people I would have never been in rooms with before. I never realized how much I needed a community, I think. And when I got there, you know, I, I was, I got sober here in Australia, but I was lucky growing up in the U.S. I was exposed to AA at 16, right? In, in the U.S., we're good like that. We throw kids in AA pretty young. And yeah. I knew it was successful and it would work, but I never gave it a shot because it was what it was. But when I came into the rooms this time and got sober, the group and the power of the group held me. It was, again, it was like a community. And, you know, that Johan Hari, he talks about connection being the antidote to addiction. I agree that that's a strong element of it. And that's what we get in recovery. 
Yeah. It's, you definitely, just like I said, I, I found my, I knew the people I could talk to. And these are people that were drinking. Now you're in an entire room uh, where you're going to be hard pressed to shock somebody with your stories. And when people are, are struggling, they feel that their stories are unique and their experiences are unique and their trauma is unique. And it's a harsh reality to find out um, it's not, you're not, you're not unique. You know, I had somebody tell me that once and, and I was kind of taken back by it, but uh, there's a million of us. Some of us are active, some of them aren't, but we're, we're not an anomaly. Like, <laughs> Well, here, here's the go. And this is an important point. Uh, talking to a newcomer two days ago. Newcomer, people that are newly sober are in love with their narrative of how fucked up and how hard it is and the why they're doing this. And they're typically heavily analytical, trying to unpack it all. And, you know, as we say in the rooms, a card and variety drunk, like I think to some level, helping a newly, uh, you know, introduced person to sobriety realize, look, your story has different flavors, but it's all coming from the same jar, you know, like it, it's, it's not unique. We talk about that ter terminal uniqueness. I think you're right. I think it's that identification and like, okay, I'm in the right place and there's an answer here. It's connecting with consequences again, because you're seeing the consequences of people that have done it play out right in front of you. Yeah. Married with children, successful business, rah, 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 the list goes on and on. And you start to make the connections. How did, how did, how, how did you get into habits? Like, where did you, how did you start to connect to the whole piece on habits? Well, I got sober and I said, man, there is a lot less drama in my life. Like, my life is so much easier uh, than it used to be. And I go, all right, well, why was that? Well, I stopped doing this one thing. Uh, that was compromising me from being the person I, I, I was trying to be. What else do I got going on? What else can I start looking at and go, you know, start connecting these, these things between habits and, and how I feel about myself. When we talk about mental health for me, it was, how do I feel about myself? Am I real? Am I, you know, uh, is this, is this part of the facade of this, of presenting something that's not real? And uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I still, I still struggle with that. I mean, I still just, you know, I can have a crappy day or, or do something that's very counterintuitive to a guy who's talked about habits all the time. And then I, you know, I'll sit around and think about that. Like, ah, um, ah, that's, I think that's part of the acceptance, right? Just knowing that, you well, I don't have my, you know, I don't have it all figured out, but uh, yeah, that was, that was probably not probably, that was the reason I really thought about habits uh, because I still tried changing stuff when I was drinking every day, like I still meditated. I worked out a ton. I should probably worked out more when I was drinking than I do now. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So overcompensating thing, probably 100%. I used to take pride in it. I, I used to take pride in the fact that I could, you know, drink a bottle of wine or, and then, um, and then go run, you know, you know, six miles the next day. And, and I'd be miserable, but at the, uh, you know, there was a, 
pride in the, it, it, it's so stupid. Charlie Engel talks about the purging. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was probably, that, that was why I got into habits. Uh, it's, it's happening in real time. It's a work in progress. Uh, but how, how about yourself? What was it? Uh, let me ask you this. Cause uh, the, the, the real time one is interesting. I'll just say that happening in real time. I think it's more oh. interesting because <laughs> you never know exactly what's where, you know, where it's going to mm-hmm. go. Uh, I think one of the, the, one of the things about people that to me do have it figured out and they, they post it and they present it all the time is to me, that puts up a wall. I don't connect with that near as much because that's never been me. And I don't know if there ever will be me. You know, some people I think are cut out of different pieces of wood. Um, like Jeff Harris, Jeff Harris, uh, you know, he is a guy that, uh, he, he lives a life that w- would not, I would, I it wouldn't fit in my, my brain. <laughs> like the, those, that, those operating systems would, um, they just wouldn't work for me. Uh, so, you know, I, to happen in real time for me, I think is, it makes things interesting. Uh, it, it helps hold me accountable. It's just as much for me as it is everybody else. Um, but how about you? How long after sobriety, how long after becoming an entrepreneur did this idea of, of discussing habits and the impact they have, um, how long did that take? It actually had never crossed my mind. Someone else called it out. Really? Mm. So I had been sober uh, almost 10 years, you know, and when I got sober, I used a lot of what I called these self-imposed crucibles, which I suppose I didn't know at the time that Marines have this thing as well, right? These crucibles. And, and so my, my, my whole thing was at any given time, I was involved in a crucible that was shaping either my mind, body, or spirit, right? So I went through uh, the MBA, I did an MBA, an executive MBA, which took four years. Um, I did lots of uh, spirituality work in different kinds of arenas within the spiritual marketplace. I embarked on ultra endurance running and all these things were what I would call powerful external um, endeavors which were stretching me right so that was learned from my journey of Alcoholics Anonymous so you know when I got into AA it was probably that the biggest crucible in my life that whole process of sobriety but what I learned on the back of that was if you create an existential pressure it'll pull you in the right direction. It'll pull you forward, given you're ready for it. Your systems, your habits, your mindset have to be right. I'm at a place now in my life where if I get involved in anything, there's very little possibility I won't hit the mark or move towards it successfully. Not because I'm like some kind of ninja badass. It's because the conditions are right within my psyche my heart, 
you know, I've got what it takes from a habits and systems perspective to move towards whatever that, um, that calling is like, you know, a master's degree, a PhD, whatever. So 10 years into sobriety, I'm working with a coach and she gives me lots of psychometric testing and all this kind of stuff. And basically what she uncovers is that my greatest value the apex of everything I believe in comes down to commitment. And when she told me that, it, it really hit me hard because I had never been able to put a language to why I had such a deep sense to fulfill whatever I was doing. But it just made sense. And then behind that, she saw that my whole life, there was a deep orientation towards a deep commitment to whatever habits I was engaged in and habits can be agnostic. And that just made sense, right? Like as an addict, I was like a very, very committed addict as a drug. Like I was extremely driven and ambitious and committed to the steps that took me to whatever that success looked like in that realm, whether it be negative or positive. And then she helped me unpack that, I had so many systems and processes that were explicit within my life that I actually focused on real time. And the output was just a culmination of that. And she was like, you're a habits person. And I was like, no, that's too simple. <laughs> like, come on. Like, you know, you know, like I was even, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a non-active Freemason. Part of why I love Freemasonry was because of the ritual, right? There's a lot of ritual in there. Um, and it just made sense. So I actually didn't, now I'd love to tell you, I kind of had this moment where I, I didn't, someone else actually helped me realize that this is kind of how you're operating. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the ultra habits show it's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year and we're truly grateful for your continued support if you haven't already please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe you'll get cool information insights and be up to date with everything we're doing and also if you haven't, please rate this podcast. The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. So that's interesting because I just had a conversation with somebody that was who was an addict, is now an ultra runner. Uh, very common, very common. <laughs> in our community. Yeah, it's lots and lots of people. And we were we were discussing on how do we convince or how do we market the fact that what made uh, him, and it sounds like you, uh, a good addict, and I mean that in a negative context, right? But your personality traits made sure you found drugs every single day when you, and I'm not speaking for you, I'm, I'm speaking for this, for this guy. Yeah, of course. No. And, and, and are the same attributes that are making him successful 
you know, just like habits, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but in, in his new endeavor, as a in branding his story as an entrepreneur, those same things um, are making him successful. So how do we convince people that what they have is almost like a superpower if you can actually uh, connect those, those, uh, those actions with the positive emotions that come around, you know, come along with doing, doing uh, well, what, what, you know, you would consider the right thing. I think it comes back to design. I'm looking be, you know, behind you and I know it was, I know, you know, the answer um, and you're asking me the question, it's that connection to the consequences. And I think let's assume the addict has put the, the, you know, the, the pipe down or the alcohol down. And now they're, that's like compulsory, right? Like I'm not, we have to assume for the sake of this conversation, we now have an individual that's arrived. They're newly sober. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at the redirection of this energy. And there is a resourcefulness and a powerful energy within the addict alcoholic, which if redirected to a passionate and purposeful endeavor is quite, the, the outcome of that can be quite profound. And what happened for me was the external environment started to tell me, you're really good at this. Let's just say business, right? For me, it was starting off as a sales rep. I started to get accolades and people were telling me my environment responding to me positively. I started to reshape my identity and the consequences of how I was operating in, let's just say business the consequences were super positive and that started to become my new how, which then started to build my why mm -hmm. not the other way around actually for me. Um, and that's how it is for me actually in general, um, my how creates my why, but that's what happened for me. So I would say that in Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't always have the alcoholic that is like us. Like a lot of people, they're also, you get the lethargic ones as well, right? So it's not everyone has um, that energy all the time. But I'm, you know, for that, that individual that has that energy, and yes, you're quite right, it's a superpower, but it needs to be tempered. And there needs to be an introduction of, you know, um, spirituality and whatever that might look like for an individual. There needs to be a tempering of the mind, body, spirit, so that you kind of don't go crazy, I think. It, it becomes all consuming, especially at first. You talk about somebody new to sobriety, like that's they want, that's all they want to talk about. I mean, everyone's got friends that have gotten sober and literally that's all they want to talk about. And it, it became exhausting for me uh, at some point because 
you know, the whole point of this thing for me was to step away from this identity of a guy who, you know, he, he drinks wine when he's cooking and he drinks really good, you know, craft beer and all that bullshit. Um, that there's more to this than just, you know, preaching about sobriety. It's part of it. It's been a huge thing for me. Uh, but when we talk about habits, that was just one of my habits that, you know, it was a huge one. Um, and I think connecting all, like I said, like it, when I talk about picking your poison that everyone's got them, that we, we, the, the, the sooner we realize that we see the similarities between the guy who can't or a woman who can't get off their phone. Cause that's one I struggle with, you know, whether it's social media, uh, you know, whether it's a sex addiction, whether you're just, whether it becomes ultra running, whether it becomes work, whether, whatever it becomes. Uh, but having that, uh, that at least emotional awareness for me of when whatever I'm doing is becoming, is tapping into that same thing that, that alcohol was doing for me, which was usually uh, distracting me from, from myself. It's an interesting one. This ultra running, like I, I looked, I, I've been looking, I've started running again and for the first three months when I moved here to Melbourne, Australia, I came to our head office. I was kind of the first three months I was in the office at 6 a.m. I was leaving around five. And for three months, it was just straight like this. And then I started to really become isolated in my mind. When I'm involved, when work is, it's funny for me, when work is my primary focus or any endeavor, when I'm highly cerebral, I disconnect from my body and I disconnect from others in a weird way. And the last probably month and a half, I started running and again, in trail running. And it's an interesting thing because by kind of breaking my body a little bit, not in a negative way, but by pushing the body really hard, it forces me back into my body. And I live life through my body versus my mind. And almost immediately I've recalibrated myself and it's affected my relationships positively because what ends up happening is I'm living through my my body and my kind of authentic self versus kind of being floating around in here which is where my alcoholism resides so that can quickly become lopsided though because if i start to push myself beyond the extremes which can become very easy to do i'm then super tired and grumpy and you know like but i guess to your point we all have to find the systems that work for us, especially as people that are in recovery. And I think to your point again, like when we first get into recovery, we're reshaping that identity. So we're all consumed with, I'm now a sober person, but okay. It's like, what are you going to do from here? So I'm interested for you, with, with you, like what is your, when you're not traveling well, and you're kind of 
in, you, when you know you're subpar, what does that look like for you? Like, how do you know you're off kilter and how do you recalibrate? Well, I, I know I'm off when I will do just about anything than sit still in my own mind. Like that's the one, like I know if I, I start bouncing around looking for something uh, that will keep me from just sitting in my own thoughts. Uh, that's a clear sign. Like you're not in a good place. Dr driving for me is always uh, an easy one too. Like how I interact with other drivers. Um, and that, and that's not me. I, I'll say this. It's how I interact with assholes on the road. Like if somebody cuts me off, if I'm in a good place, I can, you know, I, you know, they always say there's that, that, that half a second between, uh, you know, you're, before you react, well, I can, I can find that half second where when I'm not, then, then it's, it's a reflex, right? It's just this anger. And, and uh, that's a clear sign that I'm not happy with myself. I got to look a little deeper, figure out what the hell's going on. Um, if I'm snapping at people at, at work or at home and, uh, you know, it might be them, but my response, you know, part of my, my, my journey has been stoicism has been, has, has helped me quite a bit. Right. So it's, it's that philosophy. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it. Um, and I'm not in control of that when I'm not in a good place. Uh, and then what do I do about it? You know, I probably realize it later than I should, uh, but once I do, there's breath work has been a good way. I, I was kind of getting away from that. I mean, physical exercise is always something. If I can just get that energy out, um, then there, there's a stillness that comes along with that uh, th that is very hard to replicate. And the, the easiest way I can do that uh, is through breath work or or you know, cold exposure or something along those lines that kind of ground me. It's almost like taking the fight out of me. Um, so those are, those are my go-tos. Those three, I would say physical exercise is probably the best all around because I feel, you just feel proud of yourself. You get done, you can see what you did and you know that nobody's doing that. There's a sense of pride that goes along with that. Um, and then breath work and cold, cold exposure. Those are, those are, those are my go-tos. Um, how about you? I've come to appreciate more recently how important, you know, like in recovery, we, we, we recommend, you know, prayer and meditation. And I, I got into meditation a couple of years into sobriety. And I would say my physiological state wasn't quite ready for the level of meditation I was going for. And I think there's an importance especially for highly wired people, you know, we have a nervous system. Um, I particularly have a nervous system, which regulating that nervous system is extremely important. And I manage that process through things like, yeah, breath work, cold therapy. I drink hot water continuously. Um, for me, Meditation has been, which I stopped for a while, particularly when I was ultra running, just because of the time. But I'm back into it. And it's much better for me when I take into account my physiological structure and kind of I, I do things that, you know, 
you know, I have a friend who's a yogi and, you know, he talks about it in true kind of, um, he does Kriya yoga, which is um, like Sadhguru. And he goes, you know, the meditation's at the very end. You do a physical, you, you do physical movement and, and all, all that's in, to, to get your, 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 your kind of energies and your body right for the event of the meditation because a lot of us will just move to a meditation when we're spinning around and it's not necessarily of any value when you're all over the shop right um and i've had to to learn that so um and i'm with you too about the stoicism i do um journal in uh the stoic journal and i do a lot of stoic reading i'm into a um indian um uh practice which is called Vedanta but the way it's been unfolded to me by um, my coach is very much in line with stoicism in terms of it's it, it's an existential experience it's it's how I be changes the way I see mm-hmm. and I think that's very important for people like me that my response mechanism in the world is the most important thing. And the way I respond then shapes my perception. What are the signs for you? Like, what does that thought process look like when you realize that you're not in the best of place? I loop. So what happens for me is I have an addiction to impulsive thoughts and so that might mean it, it could be a, a, a subtle form of compulsive thinking or obsessive compulsiveness. Mm-hmm. But what will happen, and a previous close mate and colleague, he called it out. He goes, oh, you're looping again. I was like, oh, that's a really good way of calling it out. Because what would happen is I would get a thought And then I would hone in on that thought and then I would reoccur on that thought and, and I would drive everyone around me crazy. (laughs) Right. And so that thought may be at the wrong place at the wrong time. It's random. It's impulsive. And then I chase that thought. So for me, when I start looping and becoming impulsive and compulsive with thought, and reacting on them, that's when I know I'm off. When I'm okay is when the thoughts are coming and I let it, I almost picture it. Like when it comes in, I just let it rotate out, right? But when I hook into these thoughts, that's when I know I'm, 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 I'm feeling out of control somewhere in my life. Mm-hmm. And my sense of control is now driving me to hook into everything I'm thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and in, and that's what I like to hear that, that when we talk about everyone has their journey. Um, so what, you, what happens to you looks different than what happens to me. You know, but at the end of the day, the result, if it's not, you know, if, it, if, if something isn't done about it, is potentially the same thing. You know, it's, and, you know, I don't think enough people realize that a ton of us are just on autopilot. That's, 
We're on autobot. We don't realize that connection. And I don't know if it's through that your, your spirituality. I mean, that's what a 12 step does. I've said this on here before, but I don't care. Everyone should go through 12 step. I don't care if you've never had a, an addiction issue. Because the second you really start to figure out why you do the things you do, accept the things that you've done, ask for forgiveness, and then trying to maintain these games that you've made, this insight that you have. Uh, I mean, f find me a person that that wouldn't benefit. So, I, I, yeah, look, I would, I would say to your audience, my audience, I mean, the key is triggering awareness and then staying on that bike. And that's all it is. That's, that's, that's what a 12 step is. That's it. However you find that, whether it's through a traditional, however that is, that's, it's, it's, um, it's brutal honesty. Setting a roadmap on, on, uh, you know, to maybe these alarms go off when, when these demons start to, to uh, form in your brain again, because they're going to. Some of us, like, like you and me, addicts, they're there probably all the time. Like, it's a, it's a lot more, you know, it's work, that maintenance project. Um, mm, it's project, yeah. It is, it is, you know, it's understanding that we're, you know, acceptance. We're cut out of a, a different piece of wood, and that's okay. He says the same, same reason that you're doing what you're doing. Uh, you're a successful entrepreneur. It's the same reason you made your, you know, successful in other areas of life before your most recent endeavors. Yeah, that's right, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're coming, we're coming in here on time, man, but I, honestly, I think we're scratching the surface on some things. I think so too. I think we're going to have to do a round two, bro. And, and I love the, I love the thought of, of, you know, when people are, are on paper, and I said this in the intro to my episode that's coming out tomorrow, when people, if you look at this snapshot of where they are right now, they look like they've got it all together. They've got all of their stuff together. Uh, you're, I imagine, around some very successful people in life. Mm. And it, yet that willingness to talk about the ugliness uh, that is part of your story that's gotten you to the same place. Uh, there's more power in that than I think people realize because it connects those, those people that haven't gotten there yet. And they go, Oh, that's one of, that's he's from my team. And look that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other power too, on the back of this conversation is that you take away the external way that we pre present ourselves behind that is the human experience and human condition. Yeah which we're all on the same ship. And, you know, your story, my story, we were on the opposite law, you know, opposite end of the, the, the spectrum when it came to the law and everything we did, but the way that we felt, we were kindred. And I think that's what we need to realize that as human beings, we're all presenting stuff, but underneath the hood, <laughs> you know, there's the same mechanisms and the same condition yeah. and we're not as different as we think they are. And with that, there's a connection. Yes. 100%. Yeah. As humans, as humans, there's, there's a connection. We are as complex as can be. We can put, you know, things in a space. We can do amazing things, but at the same time, we're not that complicated. Mm. We're That's not that complicated. Mm. <laughs> we, you know, 
I'll let, I'll let one last thing, you know, I compared, I don't even know if there's a good comparison, but um, how do we deal with stress and trauma? Some people are just going to deal with it better than others. Some people are going to grab uh, whatever device gives them the dopamine that they need to feel okay short term. And that's looked at as a weakness by a lot of people, right? That's what we're taught to look at this as a weakness. And I was comparing it to altitude sickness, that if we, some people biologically deal better with altitude than others. But if you go high enough, everyone is going to get altitude sickness. And you certainly wouldn't look at that, you know, lowlander who got altitude sickness at 6,000, 7,000 feet and go, ah, this guy's, uh, he's weak. He's, he's, he's morally corrupt. Um, and you know, when we can think about that, you can have a lot more empathy for other people. And maybe you can look at people in the streets a little bit different, uh, and you can have a little more compassion. Um, but that's just my, my soapbox on the way out. No, I agree. And I would add that we also need to remember, we all have our poison, you know, that person we're judging for, you know, being on the phone at dinner with his wife. And we're like, look at that dickhead can't put the phone down. And then, you know, three hours later, we leave our ass hanging out because we're drunk, right? Like, well, like, you know, like, you know, we all have our, our, our poison. So, yeah. look, I really, I really enjoyed this. I think, um, I think we should, we should look at this, maybe a habits corner, man. Really? You know, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I see. We could even pick, we could even pick a habit for a quarter or yeah, yeah, and just, and yeah. try it and we can compare notes. I agree. And, yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. All right, brother. Well, look, you have a great evening there, right? All right, man. You have a good day. I'll talk to you later. See you, brother.